Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes at your favorite theme parks? Well, you're about to find out. So pull the harness all the way over your shoulders till it reaches your lap. Keep arms and legs inside the train at all times. And hold on, because it's time for the Theme Park Legends Podcast with your host, Steve Honeycutt. What's up, Theme Park Halloweenies? It's time for another episode of Theme Park Legends, a show that takes you behind the magic of your favorite theme parks and haunts through the power of words and imagination. I'm your host, Steve Honeycutt. Now, Halloween, my favorite holiday, is right around the corner. And though trick-or-treating is canceled for uh, many kids, as well as Horror Nights and other haunts and spooky gatherings of all kinds, but here at Theme Park Legends... Halloween rages on, and I have plenty of tricks and treats for you, my dear listener. Well, mostly just treats, and I have three of them, and here's the first one. You know, podcasting is kind of a lonely game. (laughs) You may think that there's a huge team here uh, at Theme Park Legends, but really, it's just me. But the loneliness has ended, because I have joined the Inebriart Podcast Network. Inebriart is a collection of other podcasts, such as Bar Talk, the Inebriart Podcast, Retro Redoctopus, uh, America's Hometown Horror, and the Old Colony Cast. Those are some uh, pretty cool podcasts. Uh, in the Inebriart one, the host goes around and talks to other creative folks. In fact, on his latest episode, which dropped October 12th, he speaks to screenwriter and co-creator of The Inbetweeners, Ian Morris, um, about his uh, screenwriting abilities. So you should definitely check that show out and the other podcasts because we're on there. And that's what makes it special for me. And for you, I hope. (laughs) Okay, now, trick number two is I have finally released my new paranormal docudrama, Ray Can't Sleep. It's a scripted podcast. Sometimes they're called audio dramas. And uh, it's like a movie for your ears. It is about a struggling musician by the name of Ray, who sounds a lot like me, who uh, realizes one day that he hasn't slept in a month, and his quest for answers leads him into the dark underbelly of Hollywood. It's like uh, They Live meets Eyes Wide Shut, or if you're podcast savvy, it's like uh, the podcast Serial or the Black Tapes on Acid. Can I say Acid? Eh, Of course I can. This is my podcast. Be sure to stay around after the interview for the trailer and to subscribe. First episode will be available October 29th, just in time for Halloween. And trust me, it's got everything you could possibly want in a audio drama podcast. Uh, thrills, chills, spills, laughs, uh, lots of sound effects, uh, full cast. It's not just me talking to a microphone like like here. And my third treat for you, my theme park ghoulies, is an interview with veteran of Universal Studios and Horror Nights, Rick Spencer. Rick has worked for Universal Orlando for over 20 years, first as a technical supervisor, then moving over to art and design and other creative departments. Rick takes us behind the scenes of Horror Nights, tells us some great, hilarious stories, and also tells us what it takes to become a creative director just like him. I don't know about you, but I'm running out of candy. So let's go to my interview 
with Rick Spencer. Ladies and gentlemen, with me today, all the way from Orlando, Florida, is Rick Spencer. Rick, how's it going today? Doing quite well, in spite of everything that's happening happening around us. Uh, <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I think uh, that's about as uh, good as it's going to get for uh, for all of us here at the moment. So uh, I've heard uh, through the grapevine that you've uh, worked at a theme park. Yes. Mm-hmm. 21 years at Universal Orlando. In the same position or? Mm, not exactly. I came in as a technical uh, manager for USF and then mm-hmm. moved on to art and design and creative, which was really my background. So the reason they hired me, they hired me as a, uh, a supervisor manager for tech was simply mm-hmm. because of my background in film and television, where I had to manage both, you know, talent and tech. And they're two very, very different things. Oh, I know. (laughs) Tech has a tendency to, you know, their business, what time do you want the lights on? kind Mm -hmm. of. And the talent, on the other hand, is a little bit more emotional. Prior to your employment at Universal, uh, were you a big uh, theme park guy? Do you have any uh, like early childhood memories of attending a specific park? Sure, sure. I loved Disneyland as a kid. My parents took me to Disneyland. As a young man, not much <laughs> younger than you, but I, I was a, uh, an aviation student. That oh. was my college goal was to become a, you know, an aeronautical engineer and so on. And so as part of that, we became um, pilots. We, we flew to Kissimmee. Which at the time was the cow capital of Florida, <laughs> and they were building this thing called a uh, Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. So part of my training as a pilot was to fly lifetime photographers over this enterprise, mm-hmm. and so that was my first exposure to Walt Disney World. Was as a pilot flying overhead so that these uh, reporters and journalists could photograph and wow so you actually got to see it being built oh that's yeah, interesting man. <laughs> it was very interesting because mm-hmm. we'd fly over there was all of these canals it looked like a giant spider web where they had drained those uh, bodies of water mm-hmm. and moved them out of what would become walt disney world resort it's amazing really. yeah, it's funny you can't build a disney park without destroying some orange groves at least not here <laughs> in the u.s <laughs> I don't know, man. It was really cool. I mean, and then uh, <laughs> my favorite part, I was a young and single man at the time, mm-hmm. was that uh, the the um, <laughs> the reporter said, well, there's a preview center. Mm-hmm. And we said, and they, they didn't have cars. We had cars. They said, could you drive us over to the preview center? Mm-hmm. I said, well, yeah, what is it? So we <laughs> got there. And it was all of these young, very, very attractive young women who were, I guess, I guess they, they found them through um, uh, some kind of like pageants and so on. They were all the hostesses oh. at this, <laughs> this thing. And they had, they, there was nothing going on in Kissimmee at the time. So mm-hmm. we would, we would um, take the time to fly them home as part of our training. <laughs> 
to visit their parents and their family, which mm-hmm. is, it was heaven on earth. <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds like a good time. <laughs> it was a great time, man. I tell you, it couldn't have been any better. <laughs> so uh, what eventually brought you down to Florida? Was it uh, working at Universal itself or how'd you end up there? No, I mean, you know, life, when you're my age, you've been blown around from harbor to harbor. It doesn't matter what course you set as a, as a, captain of a ship mm-hmm. you just get blown from port to port anyway i had a successful business in uh, new york area and uh, uh one of the people that came to service my company said we would love to have you come to florida and build a sound studio mm-hmm. in winter garden i said okay you know so i came down for two years and during that time i got an, introduced to um, paul mccartney's company mm-hmm. mpl at any rate MPL and I hit it off, and when that two-year contract ended, I went to work directly for uh, for for McCartney. Part of that was most people think McCartney is um, remarkably wealthy as a result of the Beatles, but in reality, his father-in-law Lee Eastman was a lawyer, mm-hmm. not the Eastman Kodak Company. But Lee Eastman said, "Young man, you make a lot of money, but you need to invest in copyrights." Right. So McCartney started buying copyright after copyright. Mm-hmm. Now owns about 50,000. Anytime you want to use one of his songs, mm-hmm. not his, but the, the ones he owns, right? you have to pay a royalty mm-hmm. and a fee. So that's where the money really flows. <laughs> and they brought me in because I worked on Shining Time Station with Ringo Starr, as you know. Nice. And that resonated so they asked me if i could help them develop franchises for some of the copyrights he owned which is Mm -hmm. fine which i did for two years but at the time there was this tragic setback for him and his wife Mm -hmm. and she grew ill and passed away right and at that point there was really no immediate opportunity for me so because i had been pitching some of his copyrights to disney and to universal I thought, you know, this universal is pretty cool. I, I think I'll try for a job there. I got it. And so 21 years later, that's how it happened. So you ended up working at uh, Universal. What exactly were you hired as? I was hired as a uh, technical manager. Mm-hmm. I think first as a supervisor and then as a manager for Universal Studios. It's simply because I, I know how to motivate tech. Mm-hmm. That's not my forte. Forte is creative. So right. it, it took about a year or two for me to move over to art and design mm-hmm. and, and do creative stuff. Was it just a simple glance at your resume and then they were like, you're in? Or did they, were you, they just aware of your work? They, they were desperate for managers mm-hmm. because they were opening uh, Islands of Adventure. Oh, I see. And so, uh, you know, I, I really can't second guess why me but you know here's a guy who knows how to make films and tv mm-hmm. worked in new york he worked for mccartney yeah pretty impressive resume yeah yeah well okay you know whatever <laughs> you know but basically they said come in and make sure that the shows go on every day and no mm-hmm. one you know doesn't show up mm-hmm. and i did that for a year or two and uh, slowly the people in the creative side of things you know, I got to know them. And I said, well, you know, I could do this. And they said, well, could you uh, street direct? Could you do the uh, the scare zone? Could you Mm -hmm. be a a director? I said, sure. So I did that. And then it just grew. And then 
I had tremendous support from the, the senior executives at the time. Mm-hmm. There was uh, Skip Sherman and Adrian LaPeltier. Mm-hmm. And then I met TJ Manorino and it just sort of clicked. And so for about six, seven, maybe eight, nine or years, we, we sort of, we did cool stuff and everyone loved it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so at, at the very beginning, like when you first started, what did you, did they start you out with like, one specific show or were they all under you or just, you just motivated all the, you were in control of all the techs. Oh, well, at UCF, or, I mean, USF, mm-hmm. we had, uh, <clears throat> we had technical shows that required quite a bit of attention. It was the mm-hmm. Beetlejuice was a show that required, you mm-hmm. know, certain amount of tech. There was a um, wild, wild West show. That I remember that. And then there was Terminator 2 or oh, Terminator. Love that. Two, yeah. And um, I'm trying to think of the ones that required the most tech. Horror makeup had a, a weapon mm-hmm. at, in the early days, so that required some attention. Do you remember what it was? Like maybe an axe or something? No, no, no. It was a gun. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. I don't remember so, that. <laughs> I just remember I was in charge. They, you know what? There was there's amazing uh, safety issues there, so no weapon could go on show without without a certified trained technician. Mm-hmm. My biggest challenge each day was if someone called in sick, I had to worry about. Well, you know what the guy the guy from the West Wild Wild West show he he's sick, so I need to move someone over from horror makeup, mm-hmm. which means I have a hole at Terminator. <laughs> It was just like a chess game each morning, but we never lost a show. That was, that was my job for a year or so. Nice. It's uh, did you, do you have a preference as far as those shows go on like maybe one that you liked more than other or, uh, no, no, no. my, my job was to keep the text motivated. Did you find that, you know, challenging compared to your previous work? Once you once you make a motion picture, which I've done or a TV show, <laughs> it, that's like leaping buildings that are in a short <laughs> small bound yeah once you do that you can you can do anything and uh you know this is this there was a routine to it and it was fine it was great and the people are fantastic the mm-hmm. the technicians the actors the management was fa- amazing it was great i loved it oh i know i loved working at universal orlando um for my short tell me, time tell me again what you and i did together there I mean, I was a mascot most of the time. I was Shrek, and then I eventually got to do uh, Donkey, um, which, I mean, of course, that was my favorite. I enjoyed that doing way more than the uh, mascot work. Uh, I was like Donkey for, or I was, my time there was almost two years. And the only time I think you and I probably actually met and exchanged words was when you were running your voiceover uh, seminar. Uh. Yeah, right. Um, right. I remember that. And I used to always hear your name whispered throughout the park. So uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> always favorably, though. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Those those uh, that's the one thing. There's a couple of things that I, I, I feel um, some regret that I can't still do the voiceover. Boy, that led to a lot of work for a lot of folks outside of Universal. So mm-hmm. I love that and uh, some other things we did. You're starting out as a tech supervisor and you're, you know, telling people what to do and filling the holes for people who are calling in. Like, uh, as far as your, I don't know, career trajectory, 
are you like thinking, oh, man, I wish I was more on the creative side? Um, like what what's going through your mind during those uh, early years? You know, I was thrown into a world I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't think much about anything other than getting the shows up and running each day. Mm -hmm. And about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning when everything, all the shows were manned and everything was running, I was okay. <laughs> Uh, I like getting a regular paycheck. This was the first real uh, career job I had mm -hmm. in the corporate world. Up until that, I was always an independent writer, producer, director. I lived completely on my own. And I had a young family when we moved here mm -hmm. at, at then, and it was, uh, it was a blessing. And I, I can't thank Universal enough for the opportunity to you know, have health insurance and all of that stuff that you do. When um, did you get involved with uh, Horror Nights? 1999. Mm -hmm. I started there. And it was only about two years later that uh, I got to know two of the greatest people at Universal at the time, which was Skip Sherman, who mm -hmm. was vice president of entertainment, and Adrian LaPeltier. And, uh, they, they just, you know, I said, he, you know, I've been, I was out here as your tech manager and I'm thinking, you know, if you did this, it'd be <laughs> cool. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, do you want to be a, a show director? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I said, sure. <laughs> and, uh, it took off from there. And, uh, it, it, I, my involvement got greater and greater. Is there something specific you were responsible for? Did you work on like Bill and Ted or was there a house that sticks out in your mind that you worked on? <laughs> well, <clears throat> because of my situation, they made me the um, head writer on Bill and Ted. Mm -hmm. The challenge at that point was that I'm too old to be <laughs> the head writer on Bill and Ted. Uh -huh. So I said, listen, I'll, I'll be happy to help the Bill and Ted show, but mm -hmm. you need young blood for this show because I don't, I don't really follow the references that are so important. So I hired right. Kenny Babel, Kenny Babel. And uh, Mike Aiello, I said, mm -hmm. you guys, you guys should write this and I'll show you how to write it so that it's concise and everything. Mm -hmm. And they really took over and made it what it was. So, yeah, there was that. And then there's this, the uh, legendary truth mm -hmm. uh, thing that, that I sort of did underground. And um, it became a thing on, on, unto itself. Uh, legendary truthers, man, they love what we do. I, what exactly is the legendary truth? I'm sorry, I, I don't, I'm not sure what that is. I split my time between events, special events, and creative. Mm -hmm. And so, as part of special events, I had to help promote Halloween Horror Nights. And it was great mm -hmm. when we had Jack the Clown. Jack was perfect, <laughs> he could be just outrageous and so on. So I didn't really have to write much for Jack because James Keaton was Jack mm -hmm. and we could just put him out there and he'd do this thing and everyone, oh my God, I'm scared of Jack. Okay. Then we did The Caretaker. Mm -hmm. And if, this is not something that many people know, but they wanted me to be the caretaker because I'm so tall right. and I have a deep voice. And everything. Uh -huh. But I, I'm not as good as an actor as to what they needed. So we ended up with Bryce Ward as the caretaker. He was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then things evolved and we got to the year of Bloody Mary. The problem we had with Bloody Mary was from a, an event 
promotion standpoint. She was a great icon, I guess, but the problem was she couldn't speak. She's a demon. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't send her out to the local TV stations to be a spokesperson in the morning, which we could have, could do and did do with James and with Bryce. They, they would just go, I'd write some copy for them and they'd deliver. It's great. But with Bloody Mary, you know, you say her name three times, she bursts through a mirror and right. she kills you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know how we do that on the AM morning shows. Right. <laughs> So we decided we would create this this uh, backstory that would explain why you should be afraid of Bloody Mary, mm-hmm. and uh, it became legendary truth. And uh, it was a, a group we called it. It was like uh, the Ghost Hunters and all that stuff, except that it was high tech. Mm-hmm. It was from Princeton, New Jersey, which is where I'm from, and it was uh, you know high tech science and they would explore all of this stuff oh okay we, yeah so that that is legendary truth the collective and the way we chose to promote it was to create an anti-universal website <laughs> <laughs> and so if you logged into the website for legendary for uh, halloween Horror Nights uh-huh. that year, which we also produced you you it would get hacked while you were watching it and that is so cool. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And it and it developed an entire group of people who loved this anti-universal. And it would come on and say, you know, universal is lying to you. Don't don't fall for it. You need to find out the truth. Click on legendarytruth.com and then the hack would go away. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it became a whole thing. And for the next years, everybody wanted to the the Uber fans wanted mm-hmm. to know more about legendary truth. All right. So you've, you know, worked with Horror Nights for a while. Like, do you see like a progression <laughs> of how Horror Nights is, has gone? Like maybe it was a little more extreme in the early days and now not so much. Do you see that? Well, <clears throat> yes and no. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Listen, we were, at, under certain leadership, we were charged with coming up with all of the houses and all of the scare zones and so on. Mm-hmm. And then that leadership moved on. And so we were then challenged with creating uh, houses that were based on intellectual property. Ah, that's and, what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so, quite honestly... For those of us who were in the old days of uh, art and design and so mm-hmm. on, we were disappointed not mm-hmm. to be in complete control of the themes and the designs and so on. But, but to be perfectly honest, from a business standpoint, I got to tell you, they, they meaning the marketing people and mm-hmm. the publicists, they were smart because they knew they they felt. You know what? We don't need to try to explain all this stuff. They never really liked Legendary Truth too much. Right. The Uber fans loved it. But the others said, you know, come on, Rick, just move on here. Look, we've got Walking Dead. We've got uh, American Werewolf in London. We've Mm -hmm. got Stranger Things, whatever. Blumhouse stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for them, it made life a little easier. They didn't Mm -hmm. have to try to explain to you what to be afraid of. They just had to put out the logo. Yeah. And you know what? Financially, it was brilliant. That mm-hmm. was the way to go. Um, and so now it's half and half, although now it's nothing. But, you know, 
right? That, you was, know, that was the progression. For sure. Um, is there any kind of back and forth between you guys and Universal Orlando and Universal Hollywood as far as uh, planning Horror Night stuff, or is it just completely separate? No, no. Uh, there's collaboration for sure. Mm-hmm. It's it's become, uh, well, I don't know about this year, but in the last few years, it's become very challenging because Hollywood doesn't have art and design. Mm-hmm. They don't have a complete division. So they rely on well-known intellectual property. Then the challenge from a business standpoint is coordinating their message with our message. Mm-hmm. And that's all there is to it. It, it doesn't really involve the stuff, people like me. That's a marketing group that just <laughs> wow. worries about, you know, if they're doing this, can they say this? Can you say that? Were you working in Horror Nights up until your uh, recent exodus? Or did you stop a few years back? I'd say a couple of years back, the last mm-hmm. great thing that I worked on was a thing called the repository. Do you know what that is? I do not. We we convinced Orlando to do a, an upsell house. You had to buy your ticket and then pay another 50 bucks to go to the repository. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and the repository was this Uber house mm-hmm. where the actors could touch you and say things to you that they otherwise wouldn't do. It also incorporated, um, it was a standard kind of haunted house, mm-hmm. but it incorporated virtual reality. You had Ooh. to go into a virtual world and then you had to go into an escape room to get out. Whoa, that's brilliant. And it was pretty cool. Uh-huh. You know, if you get a chance when you're done with this interview, go and, you know, look up the repository. Man, everybody thought it was the best of the best. It was like not just us. I mean, personally, <laughs> we had, we didn't have a lot of time to do it. So mm. I said to TJ Manorino, I said, "Man, we're nuts. What are we? Doing? We shouldn't have never done this." However, man, the reviews, uh, fan, you know, Fangoria, uh, U.S. News and World Report, mm-hmm. the London Times. Travel and Leisure, everybody <laughs> went crazy for this thing. Was uh, was it a success, like financially it, speaking, or no? No, I don't think it was Aww. because uh, no, because it cost a lot of money to bring in all of this new tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and but here's the thing: when you say was it a success financially, if you're talking about ticket sales, no. If you're talking about impressions. In the world media, mm-hmm. better than anything we'd ever done. Yeah. So how do you how do you how do you equate that? Do you say, "Well, my God, you guys lost a hundred grand on this thing," or you say, "My goodness, you got a million dollars worth of free advertising." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Not my job. Right. My job is to make it a cool experience. So I assume the repository did not return for another year. It did not because we chose not to do it, not because it, they didn't want to do it. Uh-huh. It was because the return on investment was in the media. Mm-hmm. And if you do it once, you can't come back and say, oh, here it is again. Oh, you'd have to like change it maybe. or Yeah. And you know what? It was what it was. Mm-hmm. Man, I wish I would have gotten to see that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I know. I mean, I. The thing, one of the comments, not one, but many of the comments like knocked me out. People went in there mm-hmm. 
it took a while. You couldn't go through it in six minutes. <laughs> but people would go in there and say, I don't want to leave. <laughs> and I'm thinking, are you crazy? I don't want to leave. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's a repository of the most evil things in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you, uh, because it was an intense thing and you had to sign a release, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we had a, a warm-up room. You know, where you could go in and sign up, sign for your release. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. And uh, around the room, we had we had posted the di- different evil objects that you would encounter inside the repository. Mm-hmm. And then as part of operations, we said, now look, if at any time you get too scared, if you get something's wrong, just raise your hands and we will take you out. And that would happen because in the virtual reality world, it was incredibly intense. But so then all these people are sitting there signing their releases and they've just paid their 50 bucks. And this one guy got up and he walked around the room, started looking at the different posters that we had put up that showed what they were going to encounter in the very first room, not in the entire thing. Ah. All of a sudden this guy goes, and I, I walked over and said, excuse me. You, you raised your hand. You want to leave? He said, yes. I said, but you just paid your money, so I can't take it. I said, you haven't even got in. He said, no, I can't take it. I said, well, let, look, there's no refund here. If you like, I will walk you into the different rooms so mm-hmm. that he said, no, I'm out. All right. And he was gone. <laughs> well, it was scary. It was scary. Man, Man. Yeah. now I'm, I'm so intrigued now. Yeah, I've always heard about the i don't know like in the midwest they have these super extreme uh haunts and stuff yeah, like they're, that they're usually pretty gory by the mm. way they're you know that's blood and guts and this was not this was psychological Ooh, man ah oh. <laughs> what what year was this again any idea like 2000s or you said it was your last thing so maybe uh, later two, three two years ago Oh, man. Look it up, man. The repository. I will. Oh, I will. There there are videos. And if you know what, when we're offline, I can send you uh, people who went through it. It was was pretty cool. Oh, that sounds great. It was a technical nightmare. And Mm. as I say, one night, TJ and I were sitting outside. (laughs) We had a a car, a golf cart, you know, Mm. we could there was we at the end was a bar. You could go into the bar as you left, and you could watch a video of people who were going through it. But we're sitting out there, and I said, "You know, we're insane. We never should have done this." <laughs> he said, "Look at the reviews." I said, "Come on, man. This was just, I mean, dangerous. They should have fired us." Uh, what? <laughs> but I mean, it has to be uh, gratifying for yourself as a as an artist, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and that uh, leads me to my next question. Are you, I mean, I don't, uh, would you consider yourself like a horror guy? Like, do you like uh, horror or read Stephen King or whatever? I'm a, I'm a, I'm creative to the extent that whatever you need, I can do. Mm-hmm. I can break your heart. Mm-hmm. God knows I can do that. <laughs> and I can scare the living hell out of you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, we're, we're creators. Um, I, this is an announcement that I don't think I've made publicly yet, but I've just become the creative director, creative director for Haunt Vault, mm-hmm. which is an outgrowth of HHN Vault mm-hmm. and also of Midnight Syndicate. So I'm bringing those two companies together to do some cool stuff. Um, 
don't know, man. I don't know. Like, I mean, when you, know you, what? when you were a young lad, did you enjoy, uh, I don't know, oh, you know, yeah, Frankenstein yeah, yeah. or Dracula, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Oh, okay. my, my, my first exposure to it was, my God, man, this was back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My father, who was also creative, he was an architect, but at any rate, I remember sitting with him watching um, on television in New York, which is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. There was a show with Zachary. Zachary was this kind of, you know, horror guy who would host, you know, a Frankenstein movie, and he every 15 minutes he'd break in. Mm-hmm. A classic <laughs> and, horror uh, host, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's cl- but he was the best, John mm-hmm. Zachary. Zachary. And that, so that was my first exposure to it. And then uh, as a very young person, I built a haunted house in my garage. Ah, there we go. The beginning of Horror Nights right there. Well, (laughs) yeah, they were were on their way without me. But, you know, I I enjoyed creating scenes and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I guess so. Yeah, I guess I was a, you, you know what? I was also an amateur magician. I just wanted to perform and make people amazed. Or scared, whatever. Right, I, I know the I know the feeling. So you said that um, the repository was your last year um, involved with horror nights. Any specific reason why? Yes, a very good reason why. Because they're the the most important thing for Halloween horror nights is new blood. So uh, Mike Aiello, who I originally hired to be a co writer on Bill and Ted, he zoomed up, um, there was a whole new group of terrifically talented people. And among them was uh, Jason Horn and Patrick Braylord and Laura Wallace. And I don't want to leave anyone out here, (laughs) but they came along and it was so healthy to see new ideas because my stuff was a little too intellectual. Uh, I firmly believe that. Although for some, it was the most, the stuff they loved the most. But the reality is Halloween Horror Nights needs new people. And those people came along, they did a better job than I did, quite honestly, in, in my, my mind. You know, there were fans who would argue that, but I think, you know, the stuff that uh, they started doing, oh, Blake Braswell, another great uh, collaborator, writer, creator stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so... That so and, you just gladly stepped aside, basically. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. Appropriately. Mm-hmm. Appropriately. I mean, you know, there's a, a reality. If you try to hang on and pretend that you're hip to the jive and mm-hmm. know what's going on, you're making a mistake. That's why I hired uh, Mike and, and um, Kenny mm-hmm. <laughs> to write Bill and Ted. I didn't even. I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. They were. But but I, I understood the structure. Mm-hmm. You know, look, we've got 19 minutes, 20 at most. Move on. Do this. Move on. Right. <clears throat> and they were Star Wars fans, and I'm not, you know. Mm-hmm. If, uh, let's say someone's listening to this and, you know, they wanted to work behind the scenes at Horror Nights as a creative director, uh, what would you tell them, like, what's the career path that you take to get to that position? Primarily, I would suggest that you start as a scare actor because you can get that job. (laughs) Yes. 
no, nobody's going to walk into art and design. And I don't know what's going on today mm -hmm. in this world, but no one's going to walk in there and become a writer director. You've got to understand how a haunted house works. Here's a, here's an interesting moment. And tell me if I'm running out of time here, but when I first came to work with Skip Sherman and Adrian LaPeltier and TJ Manorino, we would have these wonderful creative sessions. And I thought that what we, what we needed to do was write a story about the haunted house and then create a haunted house around it. But Skip, who was a very, very strong leader, said, don't, no. I said, well, what? He said, we're going to design the haunted house based on what scares have worked in the past. And then you will create a story around that. And at first I thought, this is nuts. Why would you get, you know, but, but it turned out that was exactly right. He had seen and remembered every scare in every haunted house going back all those years. And then he said, okay, here's the sequence of scares. What's, what's the story? And so I came up with, uh, Hellgate prison, uh, <laughs> a whole bunch of oh, ghost town. And I mean, it was one thing after another where we we're just retrofitting uh, into the best scares. And those houses were the best of all, I think. So, so many people do, too. Mm -hmm. Is that why, or it's not like why, but, you know, for someone who's worked in the park uh, like myself and who gets to go to Horror Nights over and over again, you can start seeing it's like, oh, this used to be the this house and this used to be the yeah. that house. It's like the same yeah interior skeleton but they just retheme it every year yes because it works how do you get in well i don't know today and i don't know but i mean you know if you can if you can get in as a scare actor which is likely because we hired 1200 sure then 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 you get to meet the people you know mike aiello who is now the creative i think director or see something mm -hmm. senior senior direct say something mm -hmm. but he started in uh, jaws wow he was a boat captain in Jaws, and he approached Michael Roddy, who also deserves quite a bit of credit for incubating Halloween artists. He approached him with some script ideas, and one thing led to another. He moved through art and design, became uh -huh. a creative director, and moved on over to creative. Mm -hmm. The creative is a different division of Universal. Sure. He was developing new, new uh, entertainment for the next park. Wow. I, I, I don't know what's going on today. Did uh do you have any fun stories, good or bad, about your time at Universal or Horror Nights? I mean it's one and the same basically. Well, one of my favorite stories I was they put me in charge of the rat lady. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the early days when we had the well, I, I don't know, I still have rat lady. <laughs> rat lady was rolling around out there and I, I didn't really quite understand it. So one of the things I loved was <clears throat> the actual backstage challenges of rat lady. Rat lady is in a coffin, a glass coffin with, I think it was 20 or 24 rats. Mm -hmm. They all had to be um, female rats because male rats fight. Ah. Female rats don't fight. That's fine. Okay, so explain that to me. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and then um, I get a call one night, by the, just on the backstory side of this, 
Mm-hmm. Rat ladies challenge, not not the actress. They just love pets. That's mm-hmm. fine. And the pets, the rats are trained. They're you know three months of training to get wow. the rats. Wow. The problem is the the coffin gets warm, and the rats go to sleep because mm-hmm. it's comfy. They're well fed, and uh, that does not actually make it very scary. <laughs> we had to air condition. We had to build a portable air conditioner to keep the coffin cold. Ah, uh, okay. That kept them awake. Mm-hmm. And then they put peanut butter under the fingernails and behind the ears mm-hmm. of the actress mm-hmm. so that the rats looked like they were biting her, but they were just having a little snack. <laughs> and one night I'm working and the phone rings and it's the stage manager she said, Rick, yeah, the rats are fucking. <laughs> so what? The rats are fucking. And I said, but I thought they were all female. <laughs> I can't be. And she said, no, there must have been a male in there because they're having at it. So we'll get the, get the one out and do whatever you need to do. I'll be right down. <laughs> and it was, it was, we got through that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then a few months later, there was a blessed event. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, so the rats were procreating. <laughs> Anyway, that's going to be a chapter in my my cover story about <laughs> Halloween Arnold's. It's going to be a chapter titled "The Rats Are Fucking." <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's a whole novel for you, right there. Uh, I think so. Anyway, <laughs> that was that was one great night. Mm-hmm. Another another was uh, somehow they let me dis- decide on uh, this event. They would build a Tesla coil. Okay. In the port of entry. Mm-hmm. And we do all this research on how it would be really cool if you walked in and this giant Tesla coil was shooting out lightning bolts. Mm-hmm. Very cool, right? Yeah. So we hire a company to build the Tesla coil and they said to us, well, we need to ground the the strike points, which means that they're going to put copper strike points in the trees so that the Tesla coil goes... Right, right. And they start driving copper rods into the uh, lagoon Mm -hmm. at uh, Islands of Adventure. (laughs) I forget how many rods they put in there, but it must be be a half a million dollars in rods. Mm -hmm. Or they finally said, okay, it'll work. (laughs) And then Skip, at the time, and I walk out to watch the first test. Mm-hmm. And this thing is guaranteed to just send lightning bolts into the trees. And the first thing it does is send about a 25-foot bolt of electricity to our feet. Oh. And a sandbag that explodes. And it burned out all of the speakers. <gasps> oh, no. It never really worked. It worked for a couple of nights, and it was cool. I bet. But it, it never, it never really worked. That was about the only real technical failure that that we never could overcome. Oh yeah. Um, what about uh, towards the end of T uh, two's lifespan? Uh, how how it, was it still kicking uh, at that time? T two. Yeah, Terminator two. Like I, I feel like I used to go and watch it, and there would always be like a robot, like broken or something oh i don't know i was i was way 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 out of uh management 
for them. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I don't know. Have you seen a new show? Uh, which one? Oh, Born. you mean the um the the Born? No, no, I yeah. haven't. They don't have that over here yet. Um, you're, well, you're in LA. Yes. Uh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's a technological wonder. It's amazing. You it's think amazing. it's better than T two? Oh my God! Yeah. <gasps> Blasphemy! I don't. Know. I'll have to see it for no, myself. No, no, man. <laughs> well, I saw it. I saw. It. I didn't know what I was looking at. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. I wow. couldn't believe it. Now it, it's been. Uh, kind of not well promoted mm-hmm. or reviewed simply because of the times, but otherwise right. you'd be sitting saying to yourself, Oh God, oh. I mean, I walk, and I was just peripherally involved in some of the stuff for it. Mm-hmm. It's a, you, you don't know, you're sitting in the, in the theater. You don't know what's on screen and what's real people. Wow. You know? Now that's, that sounds awesome. Nothing like a it good awesome. immersive experience. Yep. Yep. So, uh, any more stories before we wrap it up? Not, not really. I mean, we learned a lot. Um, I'll just do a commercial real quick for Mm -hmm, mm hauntvault.com, where we'll be recreating some of the cool stuff we did for Legendary Truth. Mm -hmm. Not exactly the same characters, but certainly some of the fun gaming. We, We perfected alternative reality games and uh, also augmented reality stuff. We did some really cool technical stuff there. Could you describe to me like your last day at Universal? I mean, I'm just curious on how a uh, 20 year career like ends. <laughs> they, you know, first of all, we were in, uh, we were in sort of lockdown. Don't come in for months for two or three months. Please don't come in. You know, we're going to pay your salary. Just don't come in, blah, blah, blah. And then one day, someone called and said, listen, we need to have a phone conversation. Uh, you don't have to come in, but we need to talk. And, you know, you know, you can feel it. You know, I, and they said, well, you know, we're so sorry, but the reality is the business and so on. And then they went through all the stuff they were going to do as part of my severance. and. By the end of it, I remember the human resource person said, you're so relaxed. I said, oh, my God, it's like winning the lottery. (laughs) Someone asked that person a day or two, one of the senior executives said, how did Rick take it? And he said, well, I think if he could have crawled through the phone and kissed me, he would have. I I said, you know, come on, man. I mean, you know what? My show with... All of this was over a year or so mm-hmm. ago. We did the repository. It was okay. But mm-hmm. I wasn't doing what I need to do, which I can do now, which is create new stories and new characters and new intellectual properties. And I have a bunch of different outside interests business-wise, which at some point, not now, not tonight, but at some point, I'll tell you about because they're cool. Yeah, I, I bet they are. Um, if Universal called you tomorrow and they were like, uh, we want you back. Uh, what would you say? I would want to know in what capacity <laughs> and if it would affect my severance. I don't want, I don't want to do anything to jeopardize the generosity of the company. Mm-hmm. But if they said we really, first of all, I feel like I'm still part of the family. Right. You know, and I feel like we have unfinished business, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I'm, I'm older, you know, man. I don't, I don't want to be getting in the car every day and just going down there. And really, quite honestly, for the last year, maybe a year and a half, I just felt like I was 
you know, just putting in FaceTime, mm. which is not good for a person with my, and I don't want to pat myself on the back, but my creative stuff, I need actually outlet. I can't just go and sit and go to meetings and think. Right. Yeah, it was not, that would be. Yeah. You, so now, now, no. You'd rather stay home and write. I'd rather stay home and write. I'd rather get on a jet plane and go to the Isle of Skye. Mm-hmm. I'd rather, and, and I have business interests across the country and, the, and, and in Europe mm-hmm. that are much more fun than just sitting there collecting a paycheck. So, <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah, man. There's some cool stuff going on. But right now, with no theater uh, outlets, it's, it's a little... It's numb. Nothing's happening. Like, what's your favorite theme park to go to as a guest? I, I think it has to be Islands of Adventure. I mean, Harry Potter changed the world. It has. You know, I don't know. You you saw this up. You saw my profile on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah. So you know, I I work in Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm-hmm. I saw that. So much of the design for Potter mm-hmm. comes from York in uh, England and Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. In fact, Gringotts Bank, but chandeliers, you can go to Edinburgh and walk in and see that bank. There are no goblins. There, <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, really, it's amazing. Yeah. And, the, and the Jacobite Express is the, film, is the railroad that they use to film the Potter train. Oh, wow. I mean, it, yeah, and, it, and where um, J.K. Rowling wrote um, that first story was a little cafe called the Elephant Cafe. Mm-hmm. And if you walk around that area, you'll see Potter Row, so mm-hmm. which you got the names. And if you really want to see something that's cool, you just go to a local 250 yards away from the Elephant Cafe is Great Kirk. Mm-hmm. It's Great Kirk. Mm-hmm. Kirk, the Great Kirk. Cemetery and all of the names that she uses are come out of the headstones that are oh, there. Nice. It's really creepy. I'm not telling you, man. <laughs> I bet. Greyfriars, Greyfriars Kirk. Ah, That's a, okay. Kirk, a Kirkyard. Kirkyard is cemetery. But if you walk around in there after a rainy day, mm-hmm. you know, you'll if you look carefully, you'll see bones coming out of the ground because uh, you know they didn't bury people that well and this, after some rain the stuff comes up out of the ground oh wow it's so it's very cool in <laughs> fact when we did the repository i used uh Greyfriars as the some of the photo references to create some of the um virtual reality stuff that you had to go through oh very nice <laughs> i love it i mean i the thing that i'm depressed a bit is that i'm not there I, i'm supposed to be there and um I can't go because of the COVID. Yeah. Ah. Normally I'd be there and on a tour of all of Scotland. Do you have a favorite ride or show of all time from any park? Good question. Hmm. No, I don't (laughs) think I have a favorite. Not even a top five. Are you uh, not a ride guy or you just can't pick a favorite? I don't know. Oh, man, let me think about it for a minute. Sure, I, take you know your time. What? I like the mummy. Yeah, it's a great I like, ride. I, I like the mummy. Um, I, I'm more of a, you know, my father took me to the cyclone mm-hmm. in 
at Coney Island when I was a tot. Oh, that's what I want to hear about. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wooden roller coaster. It's probably the best roller coaster in the world at the time. And (laughs) maybe still is the Mm -hmm. cyclone. And then there there was, you know, there were those things, but those are memories. Those are not experiences that you recall right now. I find uh, Potter fascinatingly interesting technically. The last 10 seconds, I feel a little sick to my stomach. <laughs> um, I like uh, Gringotts. The thing is, once once you've been to the real place, <laughs> right? these mechanical recreations just don't quite make it. <laughs> right. You know, I'd rather be in Edinburgh tonight, walk in our Greyfriars Kirkyard, mm-hmm spooky looking for ghosts and you know at halloween Horror nights where someone's dressed up <laughs> right right I, I, you know, and, and i loved them when i was a young person i just wanted to be walt disney i wanted to build a theme park yeah uh, i sort of got there to the extent that i participated in the creation of universal success sure. but the reality is reality is better than mechanical Right. I mean, I've always, uh, like when I first went to Disneyland, cause I didn't go until I was like 30 plus, I didn't realize that there was like a fake new Orleans in there. And I was like, yeah. why is this here? Why can't you just go to the real new Orleans, which I had been to. You can. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Now it's not as clean. God right. knows it's dirty. I want that grime. I want reality, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can tell you from experience, don't eat the oysters. <laughs> Wait, uh, in in New Orleans or in, in Disneyland? New Orleans. No, uh, no, no, in New Orleans. I think it's I've too had... late. I think I did eat oysters there, yeah. and I had no problem uh, at well, least. But that was <laughs> given the right circumstances. Would you ever work for a theme park again? Yeah, sure. Right circumstances. Yeah, as a consultant on a particular project, if it was completely new, I, I don't want to do anything we've done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, be, but I'm not sure what the theme park business is. I mean, it's like saying, hey, if you could work on a movie, would you? Sure. Well, uh, Rick, thank you so much for sharing your journey here on Theme Park Legends. <laughs> Great title. <laughs> okay, my friend. See you down the road. Big thanks to Rick for taking the time to talk to us about his journey through the world of theme parks. I've also linked to uh, Rick's new creative endeavors. Be sure to check those out in the show notes. Rick shows us that the foot in the door trick really does work. Going from tech supervisor to creative director, it's a pretty impressive feat. So get your foot in the door and start talking to people. You never know where you might end up. And now, without further ado, please enjoy the trailer for my audio drama, Ray Can't Sleep. My name is Ray. And I can't sleep. What happens when you try to sleep? I feel like I'm dreaming, but I'm awake. And I can't move. I think you were sleepwalking. You emptied your pocket, sat back down, and went back to sleep. There were some rough-looking characters on the bus, so I grabbed your stuff and sat next to you so no one would try anything. So you saw someone who needed help and you helped them? That is the most un-LA thing I've ever heard. I've gone over the audio, and I think I found something. Something good? That's the guy. The one they've been talking about. Are you sure? Let's get him. Do you think it's aliens? It's odd, but I don't think it's anything that crazy. Are you sure? Or maybe you're just being closed-minded. 
I just don't know who to trust anymore. When there's nothing left to believe in, believe in sense. It's Ray Cancel. Coming this October to wherever you get podcasts. Links to Ray Can't Sleep for Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as many others, can be found in the show notes. And that's going to do it for this episode. And if you dig what we do here, then please tell your friends. And if you've ever worked in a theme park, I'd love to have you on the show. And don't forget to join me next time as I continue to unearth even more theme park legends. Thanks for listening to the Theme Park Legends podcast. Make sure you retrieve all belongings while exiting the car. Should you forget anything or have any questions or comments, make sure you reach out to us on social media. And remember, have a legendary day. Ah.